0: This is Health First Talks, where we share information to help the healthcare community meet the daily challenges of medical emergency readiness, patient safety, and compliance. Hi everyone, and thanks for joining the Health First Podcast. We are so happy to have Dr. Scott Cohen and Dr. Fiona Collins with us today, talking about Safeguarding the Air We Breathe, Part Two. In part one, we discussed that SARS CoV 2 is airborne and dose related exposure with CO2 levels. In this podcast, we will be talking about CO2 levels, including appropriate ventilation to reduce pathogens, other options to actively reduce pathogens in the air and on surfaces, including air filtration, ozone generating purifiers, and other things to consider related to these devices. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Scott Cohen. He is a practicing physician at Bassett Healthcare Network, and Dr. Fiona Collins is an infection prevention expert. Fiona, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Marcy. So as we look uh, today at our podcast and the different methods that we're going to look at, it's good to frame it in terms of uh, recent findings. And some of those recent findings are are from studies in schools. Uh, so they, they've found several things. They've found that uh, masks and dis- social distancing are still important. Uh, in fact, with social distancing, uh, they have uh, the senior students, they've now said can be um, three feet apart instead of six feet apart. And for all other students, they are still maintaining six feet. So they still have social distancing. They've, they've uh, gradated it now. Um, and obviously masks are still very important as well. They also found that in fact uh, surface disinfection isn't as important and there were some other findings related to ventilation and I believe uh, you were going to talk a little bit about that Scott.
1: Yeah absolutely, thank you Fiona. You know it's interesting as you said we've really found lately that the biggest issue that we see for SARS-CoV-2 transmission is air air quality. And, you know, we try to think, how can we judge what the air quality is in any room or space, especially obviously public areas. And it's wildly different. You know, you go into places, you notice one room is colder than the other. That's indicative likely of of how much ventilation is going into that room versus another. And it's interesting when you look at SARS-CoV-2, the transmission rate is really, it, it's its impressive. It meaning the virus has the ability to infect people with a very small dose compared to the flu. On average, about 300 particles to become infected with SARS-CoV-2. Flu is two to 3,000 particles. So this is a very efficient virus at infecting people, uh, which really makes it very difficult. There's some environmental studies that have shown that Um, You know, droplet sizes uh, can be very small. uh, And what that means is they travel farther, they're in the air. So how do we decide that, you know, the air is more pure, shall we say, meaning uh, less likely to transmit. And one of the best proxies we've seen is carbon dioxide levels. If carbon dioxide levels are about at what they are outside, then you probably have very good ventilation in the space that you're in compared to the number of people. And if the carbon dioxide levels are quite high, then there's probably not great ventilation. And we do believe based on some environmental studies, including out of South Dakota, that the risk of transmission is higher. We also know that the dose of, that, of virus that people uh, receive when they get uh, infected is dependent on the, or does cause severity of disease. So a very high dose will cause more severe disease. That was not something we typically affect. In we typically uh, suspected, but turned out to be true on some studies um, that have been published uh, recently. Um, even so, noting that some clusters of very sick people kind of all cluster together because when they transmit, they're very sick and they're transmitting, you know, really um, high doses of the virus. So that said, Fiona, what what are some of the things that we can do? to reduce the burden of virus in the air or particles that carry the virus in the air and on surfaces and things.
0: Right, so when when we're talking about the carbon dioxide filters, it's really an early warning system if you like for the ventilation, but there are now a number of device options and technologies and we'll touch on those this afternoon, uh, a few of them. Mm -hmm. And so they include devices that capture microorganisms such as HEPA filters, devices that destroy microorganisms in the air and combinations of uh, filters and devices that uh, can destroy microorganisms in the device uh, and or in the air. And in fact, there's one that we'll talk about that does contain filtration, but it actually uh, destroys microorganisms in the device, in the air and on surfaces. And what, what what pathogens
1: are we talking about here, Fiona? I mean, what are we worried about?
0: I think we both know we've got lots to be worried about. Yeah. Um, and if we think about the chain of infection uh, and infection control, uh, one, of, one of the, the uh, cornerstones is reducing the level of pathogen that causes disease. And I think that's really the key point. And you were talking about infectivity mm-hmm. and, and how infectious uh, SARS-CoV-2 in particular was. But as we look at some of these other pathogens we're talking about, there are plenty of, uh, unfortunately plenty of superbugs as we call them to go around. Um, I know you've uh, talked about Candida auris, for for example.
1: Yeah, you know Candida auris is one of the bigger ones that people worry now, just because it's so difficult to treat. Um, you know, it is resistant to a lot of antifungal agents. MRSA, everyone's heard about that. There's the superbug MRSA uh, from hospitals, and then there's the the community MRSA. Uh, but they're still both problematic uh, bugs, um, and of course, the pandemics. Uh, SARS-CoV-2, you know, there's so many of them out there. What, you know, what I wanted to focus on, you know, is, is what, what have we done and what can we do in the future? We know a lot of people have installed HEPA filtration in their offices and that's really, it's a good option. You know, HEPA filtration removes about 99.97% of particles over 0.3 microns. What that means is any, most particles that could carry the virus are eliminated. Does it do anything to surfaces where things settle? No, does it do anything to um, particles smaller than that? No, they pass right through, but they they certainly have helped and they are a reasonable approach. But I think you wanted to talk about some of the other more advanced uh, devices now, Fiona, right?
0: Right, I think, I think that would be great. Um, to put it in perspective, okay. if we think about that 0.3 micron size particle that you were talking about, it's equivalent to 25,000 particles in an inch. Mm, so it really wow. does capture very small particles and they are effective. There are just some additional options that do some other things yeah. as well now.
1: Yeah, we were so, talking too that, you know any of the things we're talking about today, HEPA filters and some of the other filters Fiona's gonna talk about now, this is in addition to the other CDC recommendations, mask wearing, hand washing, those sort of things. This is not a substitution, right?
0: That's right. They're adjunctive devices, so they're for use in addition to the CDC recommendations. So, for instance, if it's a surface disinfection, it's in addition to the recommendations and guidance on cleaning and disinfection of clinical contact surfaces. It's absolutely not instead of. Okay.
1: What were the other devices that, that we're talking about now or, or that are out there now that, that are interesting for uh, well, surface and air cleaning?
0: Yeah, so they're ESP air purifiers or electrostatic precipitators. They've been around for a long time. They're another method of basically capturing the particles. And instead of using HEPA filters, they actually have a, the particles become charged when they go into the device and they're trapped by a plate that has the opposite charge and then periodically they're removed. So it's a similar idea, it's capture uh, rather than kill, but again, efficacy is greater than 99%. As we look at some of the others, uh, they typically, um, they're they're all sucking urine basically at some point in the process. And they typically have at least one and quite often two or three filters. And it would usually be a pre-filter that removes larger particles, um, a HIPAA filter, and then another filter uh, that will removes, remove gases. So there are different types. When we get to the ones that uh, destroy the molecules or the, the microorganisms in the devices, it's typically oxidizing molecules.
1: Now that's uh, not- Typically- but, not, devices, pardon me? That, That's not the ozone generating devices of old, right?
0: No, it is not. Um, I should probably touch on those since, since you brought it up. Um, The ozone generating air purifiers, or as people call them, ozonators, um, there, there are some myths and some dangers around those. The first one is that they're germicidal and they will kill microorganisms in the air. And that is absolutely true, but not at the permissible level of ozone. So in other words, the level of ozone has to be higher than the level that OSHA permits for safety reasons for them to be effective. So that's obviously a problem. Um, It's toxic gas, it causes throat irritation, it causes lung irritation, it can cause pulmonary edema, and it can cause other problems as well. So it's, uh, we're not talking about ozone generating air purifiers. And in fact, uh, California and many other governmental organizations um, do not, they advise against the use of ozone generating air purifiers. Now that's not to be confused with devices that may as a byproduct, release very small quantities of ozone. We're not talking about those. We're talking about the ones that are intended to release germicidal ozone. Uh, But in fact, if they do, they're at too high a level. So no, we're not talking about those. Uh, Some of the others will uh, kill microorganisms in the air. And that's uh, typically also through the release of an oxidizer. There um, is one on the market called uh, ActivePure Medical Guardian. That one, it produces gaseous hydrogen peroxide and other molecules and those will destroy microorganisms in the air. It's also sucked back into the device and in phase two, all of those uh, uh, molecules are sucked back in from the air, contaminants are ionized, they're trapped, they're filtered, and then they kill the microorganisms. So it has two phases and uh, this is the one that is effective on air and on surfaces.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, the active pure and several others as well. One of the things we have to consider for the future. First of all, why do we even need you know these devices now? Um, I'm talking about all of these HEPA filters and others. With you know pandemics here, how did they come about? But also that these devices are they're safe. They're safe to use with people in the room. They're meant to be used continuously. Yes. They're fine, but. You know, I struggle as a physician, you know, why is this happening? Why why are we getting these pandemics, these superbugs, you know, all these other things? And as we wrap up here, I mean, just something to leave our, our listeners with, can can you go through a couple, like what, what has caused all this? Or what do you think is causing these things? And what will bring out
0: zoonoses and pandemics in the future? We know that there was widespread use of and unnecessary use of antibiotics. So basically misuse of antibiotics and a lack of antibiotic stewardship. On the other side of things, uh, we know that population is increasing. There's greater population density in many places. That also means in some places they're living close to non-domestic animals. And so the risk of transfer of uh, mycorrhizoing disease from animals to humans, so zoonosis or zoonotic infections, is also increasing. Um, and I know you have some other thoughts on that as well, Scott.
1: Yeah, as we wrap it up here, you know, I think a couple of different things really um strike me as well travel you know global travel yep. things in europe it's in the u.s instantaneously we found that out with china europe and the u.s and other places some of the other things you know vaccine hesitancy where you know now we're having not everyone vaccinated who should be because they worry there's politicizing of of medicine you know which is not really our goal here obviously but you know i think one of the things we'll have to look forward to is like on our next podcast what are some of the technologies that are up and coming that will help us, you know, in the future, meaning deal with future pandemics or even, you know, um, other, si- other ways of dealing with, um, you know, illnesses, widespread illnesses. And uh, we hope you'll come back and join us next time when we uh, talk about these uh, future technologies. So thanks for joining us tonight.